Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to, to Directional Bible Ministries for Sunday, July the 19th. Hope you guys are doing well today. Um, had a great week. Uh, if you've been joining us every morning, 8 o'clock, we have been working our way through the book of Acts. And then on Sunday mornings, what we're doing is we're just putting it all together. So um, it always turns out different. <laughs> While I'm studying through Monday through Friday, sometimes I stumble over things that I just didn't think of that, you know, we discuss and then I bring to this lesson on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to <clears throat> Acts uh, <clears throat> chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. And uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get a little context before we jump in at verse number 19. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you'd have for us today. Be with us as we gather around your word. Uh, bless everything that is said and done. Be with the needs that are represented. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in our lives and in the life of our country, our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, just for a little context, uh, chapter number 10, uh, Peter uh, went to see Cornelius. Um, and of course, if you if you look at that, um, you know, in context, uh, Peter had received a vision and Cornelius had see, received a vision. Um, Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian band, which means he was a Gentile. Uh, he was a devout man. He feared God. He received this vision that he needed to send somebody to Simon's house or to uh, um, the Tanner's house, Simon the Tanner's house, where he would find one Simon who was surnamed Peter. And then Peter also received a vision as he was setting up on the rooftop. He was trying to pray, but he was getting hungry. And he had this vision. He sees this sheet with uh, that's tied at the four corners, come down with wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air, both clean and unclean. And the voice came to him and said, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And of course, Peter, being a good kosher Jew, uh, said, you know, Lord, I, I can't, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And of course, Peter's referring back to the dietary laws in Leviticus and the Lord came and said, Peter, call not thou common or clean what I've, what I've, uh, what I've, what I've set before you. And this was done three times. And of course, Peter, at that point, they came knocking on his door, the men that had been sent from uh, Cornelius, and he went with them without any gain saying, he said, in other words, I didn't make any excuses. I followed them. And he went to Cornelius's house, and of course they had a bit of exchange. They didn't know, um, Peter really didn't know why he was there. Um, uh, because Peter's entire ministry, his entire three years with our Lord, he was forbidden to go to the Gentiles. And up to this point in the book of Acts, Peter had not gone to Gentiles. Um, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was not a Gentile event. Uh, I know we have been taught that our entire lives. I was taught it um, as a child. I was taught it all the way through Bible college and seminary. Um, but that was not a Gentile event. It was a purely Jewish event. So Peter had never went to Gentiles. This is the first Gentile that Peter had been commanded to go to. And of course, Cornelius told him, you know, God told me that you would come and tell me what I ought to do. And at that point, Peter began to open his mouth and share with him the kingdom gospel. And of course, the kingdom gospel is repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom gospel was preparing the nation of Israel for the reception of their king and his kingdom, which Peter still very much felt was on the table at this point. Um, so he begins to share, and sure enough, um, you can see here in my, my study notes, and probably if you, your Bible Gentiles hear the good news, uh, which is true, but not what it's actually saying there. It's, it's actually saying that the Gentiles now have gotten saved, assuming 
that that is the gospel of grace that you and I teach today. So it was a Gentile, Gentiles hearing the good news, but the good news that this Gentile is hearing is the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of grace. So, and then down when we get to the bottom, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And that's true. That's what happened with Cornelius, just as it, did, as it had happened to the apostles at Pentecost. <clears throat> now, in, in chapter number 11, Peter <clears throat> gets called, he goes back to Jerusalem, and now he's got to explain his actions. And this is <clears throat> where we, 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 we covered the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea. I heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And of course, that word of God was, of course, the, the, the kingdom gospel. And when Peter was coming up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, they contended with him. In other words, they were upset with him. Why were they upset? Because he took the kingdom gospel to the Gentiles. And saying, you went in men to men uncircumcised and you ate with them? Now bear in mind, we're in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. Uh, and, I, and I can't emphasize that enough. This has not been taken to the Gentiles yet. But Peter rehearsed the matter from beginning and expounded it to them. And, you know, verse number 15, all the way down, he's talking about what happened. I was on the housetop. I was at Joppa. I was Simon the Tanner's house. I received a vision, um, you know, that said, rise and eat. And I said, Lord, I can't do that. I've been, I've been good and kosher. Nothing unclean or common has ever entered in my mouth at any time. And the voice came to me and said, don't call common or unclean. Um, and this, this happened three times. And immediately, there were three men at the gate asking me to go with them. And, excuse me, the Spirit bade me to go with them. So bear in mind, Peter is justifying himself to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem why he went to Cornelius' house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house and said unto him, send men to Joppa. So now he's sharing Cornelius' side of the story. And then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? In other words, I did what God told me to do. And when they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, understand, God's plan was always to reach the Gentiles. But God's plan to reach the Gentiles was through the nation of Israel. God's plan was to send the Messiah who would give the king, and he would be the king and give the kingdom to the nation of Israel. And then they would be kings and priests of him to take that gospel, to take that message to the Gentile nations. That's what the entire Old Testament is about. That was plan A. And we know that that didn't happen. The nation of Israel rejected their king, rejected their king, his kingdom, and therefore plan B was set into motion with the salvation of Paul and eventually the revelation of the gospel of grace, which is separate and distinct from the gospel of the kingdom that was given to the 12 apostles. Okay, uh, now we pick up verse number 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto Jews only. So here we see that even though Peter had taken the kingdom gospel to the Gentiles, the others that had been scattered after the stoning of Stephen, who were they taking the gospel to? To Gentile, to Jews only. Peter was the only one that went to a Gentile. All the rest of them were going to Jews only. Um, so just for context, the stoning of Stephen happened in 33 AD, and it's now 41 AD. That means eight years have gone by, um, and they were still preaching to Jews only. So from the stoning of Stephen to this event here, eight years, and only the Jews were the ones receiving the gospel of the kingdom, with the exception of Cornelius with Peter. And again, they were simply being obedient to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, 
when our Lord told them before his ascension, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, starting with Jerusalem, going to Judea, going into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is what we call the Great Commission. Unfortunately, we apply that Great Commission to us. It was not a commission to the Gentiles. It was commissioned to the Jews. And it was commissioned to the Jews to take the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews. So I have come to the um, opinion, and I think thoughtfully so and scripturally so, the Great Commission was not given to the body of Christ, the church of which you and I are a part. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are given the, the gospel of grace, the that we preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles never taught the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They did not teach uh, the gospel of grace. They taught repentance and baptism. They taught Christ only. That's all they taught was Christ only. Um, now notice in verse number 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of them believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, these that were scattered from Jerusalem, these are those that are mentioned up here in verse number 19, these that were scattered abroad, notice it says, they came into contact with Grecians. Now, Grecians are Hellenistic Jews. They were part of the diaspora. Okay, these are the same Jews that we saw back in Acts chapter number 6 who were quarreling with the Hebrews. But understand, they're both Jews. One group is called Hellenistic Jews or Grecians, and the other group is called Hebrews. The Grecians were those who were born outside of Jerusalem, they had never returned to Jerusalem from the diaspora after Babylon when Daniel brought the Jews back into Jerusalem and under Haggai and Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. These Jews didn't come back with them. They stayed. And now in Acts, uh, they had returned to Jerusalem uh, for the, the feast. They had returned there for Passover. They had returned there for Pentecost. Those were the feasts that they were required. They were still Jews. They were still practicing devout Jews, and they were referred to as Grecians. Now, if you've got any other translation of the Bible except the King James or the New King James, your Bible probably says Greeks. Well, the problem with that is that is not an accurate translation. Greeks are Gentiles. These are Jews, and that lends itself to the confusion that, that the gospel had now come to the Gentiles um, across the board. It hadn't. The kingdom gospel was not for the Gentiles. So that, that is not a good translation. Um, these, are, these are Grecians. Uh, these were non-Palestinian Jews whose ancestors had been carried away by Babylon and never returned. So therefore they grew up outside of Jerusalem. They're the same ones um, that were there in Acts chapter number two, who said, how here we speak in the language in which we were born. You remember in Pentecost when the disciples were speaking in tongues, the apostles, uh, that's them Jews. <laughs> okay. Uh, there were not Gentiles there. Uh, these Jews, they preached the kingdom gospel. And again, the modern translation messes up that word Grecians and translates it Greeks. And again, that comes back to the underlying text. Um, the King James comes off of the received text, the majority text, which I believe accurately translates that word as Grecians or Hellenistas, which is Greek-speaking Jews. Um, now notice in verse number 22, and then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now, it's worthwhile to mention here that it's obvious that the church in Jerusalem is in charge, okay? Uh, a model that the Roman Catholic Church has carried forward to this day, of course, using Rome as their central base of operations. 
understand the Roman Catholic Church is simply, understand they, they believe in what's called replacement theology, uh, which comes down through covenant theology, um, which is that uh, the church is Israel. Uh, there's also a huge black movement in the United States about spiritual Israel. If you look that up, some of those guys have made some headlines recently and they see themselves as the nation of Israel. It's heresy, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's it's uh, not true at all. Um, but the Roman Church and those who follow the teachings of the Roman Church, which is most mainline Protestant um, denominations, um, carry this covenant replacement theology that Israel has now been replaced with the church. And of course, that led to anti-Semitism in time past, and it does today too, um, that the Jews killed the Christ. So therefore, now that the church has replaced Israel, we need to punish them for that offense. We need to treat them like second-class citizens, um, second-class humans. Um, replacement theology leads to anti-Semitism, inevitably, because it, it says we're better than the Jews. The problem is replacement theology is not taught in the Bible. The problem, in my opinion, is that replacement theology is heresy. Uh, we have not replaced the nation of Israel. Uh, God has covenant promises with the nation of Israel that has absolutely nothing to do with the body of Christ. We are not a covenant people. Only the Jews are a covenant people. There are earthly promises, material promises that are given to the nation of Israel that have absolutely nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. We are a heavenly people with heavenly promises. And when we fail to rightly divide, when we fail to make a distinction there, we start treading down these paths of heresy. And that's what the church has done for so many years. Notice in verse 23, And when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So upon his arrival, Barnabas confirmed um, that they, what that what they had heard, was true. And then um, notice in verse twenty-five. Then departed Barnabas for Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now remember that Saul had been sent out back in chapter nine, verse number thirty, when they tried to kill him, and when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. And of course he was Saul of Tarsus. So they, they sent him back home. He hasn't been heard from. He's been out of the script since chapter nine, verse number 30. And then notice verse number 26. And when they found him, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled with the church and taught much people. And disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, there is still no indication yet from the text that Saul had received the revelation of the mystery as of yet. But I believe there's a, there's a, he, he probably had by this point. Uh, it had to have happened. And when I talk about the revelation of the mystery, I mean Paul's conversion experience under the gospel of grace, Paul's commission to take the gospel of reconciliation, preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He had to receive that revelation somewhere between chapter 11 and chapter number 13. Um, because chapter 12 is parenthetical, has everything to do with Herod's death, uh, back to Peter. So either in chapter 11 or chapter number 13, um, somewhere in there, and maybe the first nine verses of chapter 13, the Apostle Paul had to receive the gospel of grace, the revelation of what he called the mystery that had been hidden from previous ages. Um, interesting, interestingly, Saul's name we're going to find is going to be changed in Acts chapter number 13. 
Uh, in Acts chapter number 13, he is going to be known as Paul going forward. Um, and I think that's significant. It tells me that Paul definitely had received the revelation of the mystery by that time. Because Saul, his name is used 26 times prior to Acts chapter 13, verse 9. But after Acts chapter chapter 13, verse number 9, his name is used 126 times, and it is always Paul. Um, so Saul is only used in regards to his previous life, which to me is a very strong indicator that it happened no later than when his name change was announced in chapter number 13. Um, so, and, and we'll continue to look at that when we get into chapter number 13. Also, after Barnabas found him, he took him from Tarsus to Antioch and where he continued to teach. Okay. Now, of course, up to this point in the text, nothing really stands out. Nothing says at this point forward, Paul is preaching the gospel of grace. The text just does not flat out say that, but it does seem to me that this is most likely where it happened. Somewhere between the time that he was sent out in chapter 9, verse number 30, and shortly after his visit to Jerusalem to visit with Peter in chapter 9, verse number 20, 25, and 26. Um, and we call that time his the three years in Arabia. When he was sent out, he spent three years in Arabia, and then he came back to Jerusalem. He met with Peter for a few days. Um, so time-wise, this is 10 to 12 years after Pentecost. Les Feldick, who I love to listen to, I would encourage you to check him out, lesfeldick.net, um, says that they were first called Christians at Antioch because these are Gentiles who are being saved by Paul's beautiful message of God's grace. So the assumption here is that at Antioch, he is preaching the gospel of grace now to both Jew and Gentile. Now, the church here at Antioch historically was a, was a predominantly Gentile fellowship. So he is not making proselytes. If he were preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he would merely be proselytizing them into Judaism. He is not. He's preaching, I believe, the gospel of grace by this time, and these Gentiles are now being called Christians. Um, however, I might add, Paul preached the gospel of grace to Jew and Gentile alike. And really, it's when he began to preach that gospel of grace to Jew that his problem started uh, with the Jews. I don't think the Jews cared what he preached to the Gentiles. But when he began to convince Jews that Jesus was the Messiah and that our Lord had now turned his attention to the Gentile, that's when everything broke loose in regards to the hatred and the animosity that the Jews had for the Apostle Paul. Uh, some will point to Acts 13 as a type of Israel's blindness in that a Jew is tried, uh, is that a Jew tried to lead a Gentile from the faith. So let me just kind of build that case for you. Um, in Acts chapter number 13, let's look over, I'll show you real quick. Now there was in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, okay? And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews that had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So the question is, you know, what was they preaching here in the synagogue of the Jews? Well, in verse number seven, 
which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Um, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. Now bear in mind, this sorcerer was a Jew. Okay. And Paul had preached to Sergius Paulus, who was a Gentile. He was a prudent man. Okay. And he desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the Jew, for so is his name my interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith, seeking to turn the Gentile away from the faith. So some people will point to this and say, this is a type of Israel's blindness in Elymas in withstanding Paul and seeking to turn the Gentile away from the faith which of course was the gospel of grace which Paul was preaching at that time. And then notice, and then Saul, who is now called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost and set his eyes upon him and said, O oh, full of all subtly and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So some see this as, as a is a type of Israel's blindness that Paul is pointing out by using Elymas and Sergius Paulus. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I see in the text something happened here in chapter number 13, verse number 9, uh, with the conversion, with, with Saul going from Saul to Paul now, and the fact that he is never again referred to as Saul uh, at all. So you've got this Jewish name, this Gentile name, Jewish name Saul, Gentile name Paul. Okay, and I think it's highly significant that the guy he is ministering to is Sergius Paulus, Paulus, which was a Gentile. So again, I think there's a lot of evidence by this time Paul has received the revelation of the mystery. And we know in, Re in Romans chapter 11, verse number 15, Paul said, for if the casting of the, of, away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? Paul, who is being cast away that Paul is referring to when he writes to Romans? The Jew is being cast away. And if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, which is the Gentiles, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? And they will be received again. The church age will end with the rapture of the church and God will turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. The tribulation is not about Gentiles. The, the tribulation is about the Jew. And then also in Romans eleven twenty five, for I would not have you be ignorant that of this mystery, lest you be, should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So God has temporarily blinded the nation of Israel. God has temporarily cast off the nation of Israel, but he has not permanently cast them off. He has not permanently cast them away. They will be restored again. So therefore, that repudiates replacement theology. That repudiates that God is through with the nation of Israel and now the church has replaced Israel. You're not reading the book of Romans correctly. And most covenant people do not read the book of Romans correctly. Most dispensationalists do not read the book of Romans correctly because we enter into it with, with uh, preconceived notions we open it up with a filter that's been given to us by our denomination or whoever we were taught by. And that's what we see, even though that's not what it is saying. We do it. I did it for years. And I promise you, you do it too. Okay. Um, now notice in verse number 27, uh, back in uh, chapter 12, uh, verse number 27. Well, where I'm at here, time-wise. Okay, this is back in verse number 20. Oh, yeah, back in 11. Uh, verse number 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians at 
Antioch. Then verse 27, And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, signified by the Spirit that there would be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So this guy prophesied that there was this famine going to come. And then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here we find that the church in Antioch, which was predominantly a Gentile church, presumably, presumably saved under the gospel of grace, is now sending money back to Jerusalem because of their actions in Acts chapter number 4. What happened in Acts chapter number 4? In Acts chapter number 4, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was upon them. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Why? For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. So nobody owned anything. They had thrown it into a common kitty, a common store, if you will. You remember uh, Barnabas did it, Ananias and Sapphira did it with horrible consequences, but they nobody owned anything. So now there's a great dearth of famine coming in the land and they're beginning to go hungry. So now Paul is making collections of the Gentile churches to bring back to Jerusalem for them. Now, you know, and we've talked about this. Why would the Jews do this? Because they thought the second coming of the Lord was imminent. They thought that, you know, Daniel's 70th week was going to kick right off the bat. They thought that the nation of Israel would repent, turn to the Lord, accept the king, their Messiah. The Lord would return, establish his kingdom, and then they would be priests unto God. That God would use them to reach the Gentile nations. But that didn't happen. Time's beginning to stretch out. They're beginning to run out of food. Now they're entering into a famine. That's why. Um... So as we finish chapter number 11, we have seen the stoning of Stephen in chapter 8. We were introduced to Saul and his conversion. I understand Paul was the only man who had been converted, uh, or at least the first man to be converted under both the kingdom gospel and the grace gospel. Uh, on, the, on the roads of Damascus, he heard the kingdom gospel. He responded. And then we're told in Timothy that he also responded. He was the first one in to the gospel of grace when it was presented to him by our, by our Lord. Um, I might as well show that to you. Um, that in me first, a pattern. Um, in, first, in first Timothy 1.16, notice what it says. How be it for this cause, well, let's back up. First Timothy 1.15. This is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, that doesn't mean he was the worst center, sinner. That, that is a, not a very good translation. It should be translated first, just like down here in verse number 16. The word is first, that of whom I am first, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all suffering for a pattern to them which should come hereafter, believing on him to life everlasting. Paul was the first one to be converted under the gospel of grace. And if you break that those verses down, verses 15 and 16 there, you see exactly what I'm saying. In verse number 15, um, that word chief there is the word protos, which is first. And then when you come down in first, into verse number 16, the same word protos is used here. So that's why in these verses, that word chief has led people to believe that he was the worst sinner that God ever created. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that I'm the first I'm the first to be a pattern for everybody that should come hereafter in my response to the gospel of grace. Okay. Um, 
So let's go back. So we've seen Paul's conversion in chapter 9. He shortly thereafter ended up three years in Arabia uh, after they tried to kill him, during which time or shortly thereafter, he obviously received the revelation of the mystery. Um, that's when it happened. We have also seen Peter going to Cornelius's house in chapter 10, um, revealing that salvation was going to be given to the Gentiles, even though Peter still did not understand it. Peter did not preach the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace had not been given to Peter. It was given to Paul. Um, Then the church sends out Barnabas to find Saul, who when he found him, he took him to Antioch, where they taught for 18 months, presumably the gospel of grace. And they were first called Christians. Now, chapter number 12 is going to turn back to Peter uh, and to Herod and to the church in Jerusalem uh, for a while. And then in chapter number 13, we're going to go back to Paul and we're going to stay on Paul through the book of Revelation, through the book of Acts, with the exception of the council in chapter number 15. So this entire chapter is based upon the death of Herod, which happened in 44 A.D. When it refers to King Herod, it's talking about Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, notice what it says. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Um, And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. With the exception of Judas, who took his own life, this James here, who was James and John, Uh, is the first apostle to be killed. Uh, From now on, anytime James is referred to, it's referring to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was at the Jerusalem Council and who penned the book of James. And notice verse number three. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternarians of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So Herod, just like our political leaders today, decided to appease the mob. Um, This was the days of unleavened bread, which is a reference to Passover, which was a seven-day period. Um, So a lot of people have tried to make a big much ado out of the King James translators here in using the word Easter in this verse. And they will say that's a clear example of how paganism had worked its way into the church by this time. Uh, and we know that Easter was, was, was the goddess, referring to the goddess Astarte or Ishtar, who was known as the mother of heaven, who's spoken of back in Jeremiah. However, the Greek word is Pasqua, which means Passover. Um, it also came from the German word, Oester, uh, when Erasmus did his translation, Latin Vulgate, all that, that word German, that German word, Oester, which means East, which is a reference to the resurrection of Christ. So I don't have a problem with this word. I don't think it's representing any kind of paganism that had already come into the church by this time. I think that's That's not historically accurate. I don't have a problem with the word Easter. Now, therefore, Peter was kept in prison and prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So Peter was obviously being guarded for trial and execution. In verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, raised him up, and saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. Obviously, God had a plan for Peter that did not involve Peter's execution at this point. Now, we know Peter would die, as prophesied by our Lord, that when he got older, he'd be taken where he he didn't want to go and forced to do something he didn't want to do. Uh, But that was not the time here. 
God still had a plan for Peter. Peter would go on to write 1st, 2nd Peter. Peter would go on to be a integral part of the council at Jerusalem. God was not through with Peter. Notice verse number 8. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. So he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he had saw a vision. So the entire time this is happening to Peter, he's kind of in a fog between being awake and being asleep, uh, kind of like we are every morning before our first cup of coffee. Um, Peter just wasn't fully conscious of what was going on at the time. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him. So again, God still has tremendous plans for Peter. It reminds me of the old saying, you are immortal until God is through with you. You're not going to die one day before or one day after the Lord has ordained for you. Now, verses 11 through 17, but when Peter was come to himself, I mean, fully conscious, fully awake, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, which was his death. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she saw Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran and told how Peter stood before the gate. So she's, she's spazzing out here. Peter's standing there. And they said unto her, her, thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. And we'll talk about that. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And he, beckoning unto them with his hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure that this story was shared for many years to come, <laughs> how Rhoda got all excited and left poor Peter standing outside the gate. Uh, the term beckon with his hands, uh, I looked that up in verse 17. It just literally means a physical gesture to get uh, uh, an audience's attention um, is all that means. And then the other significant thing that I see here is notice that they said it might be his angel. What are they talking about there? Well, Albert Barnes says this. The notion arose from the common belief of the Jews, which we still carry today, that each individual had been assigned an angel at birth, a celestial spirit whose office was to guard and defend him throughout his life. That was the teaching of the Jews. So they were saying that might be his angel. And where did they get this? Uh, Matthew 18, verse number 10. It says, um, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that if in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So that's saying that these little ones had an angel in heaven that's looking on the face of God. So you better be careful uh, lest you offend them. So, you know, uh, that's where we get our belief in guardian angels from the scripture. It, it seems to say that, you know, and I've seen the jokes and the memes that, you know, if I've got a, got a guard, guardian angel, he's very tired. Um, in Hebrews chapter 114, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Um, so there, there's some text there to indicate that we do have this guardian angel or these ministering spirits that are set about to protect us. And of course, both of these texts from Matthew and Hebrews is referring to the Jews, not necessarily the Gentiles. But this indicates why um, they said it might be his angel. So 
during the previous week, we read that and I just didn't think anything about it. And then it, it started to bug me just a little bit. Um, now notice back in, uh, in verse number 18. Um, now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers, that's the guards, and commanded that they should be put to death and went down from Judea to Samaria and there abode. Now, the emphasis in this verse is no small stir. These men were going to pay for Peter's escape with their lives. Um, interestingly, the same rule should have been applied when the guards at the tomb lost the body of Jesus. But we know what happened there. We know that in uh, Matthew 27, 62, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together in the pilot saying, Sir, we remember that the de deceiver said while he was yet alive, in three days I'll rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people who's risen from the dead, lest the last error shall be worse than the first. And Pilate said, you have a watch, go your way and make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure. Who's they? The guards. Sealing the stone and setting a watch, which were Roman guards. Now, we know that after Christ rose from the dead, what happened? Matthew 28. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. Some of the watch being referring to the guards uh, and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. They didn't give any money to the soldiers that lost Peter. They killed them. But to these guys who had lost the body of Jesus, they gave them a large sum of money and said, say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, anybody that knew how the Roman armies were organized knew it was life for life. Anybody on its face would have realized that these guys were lying. And then notice verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were taught and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. And back in verse number 13 or 14, it says, and we will persuade him and secure you with the governor. So <clears throat> the guards that lost Jesus's body were paid some money and lied and kept their lives while the guards that lost Peter lost their lives. Now notice in verse number 19, uh, well, verse 20. <clears throat> and when, and Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, and they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. That sounds like something out of a horror movie. I read a scientific journal that said he died of a combination of chronic kidney disease and a rare infection that causes gangrene in the genitalia, called Fournier's gangrene. Uh, they wrote, the text that we depend on for a close description of Herod's last days lists several major features of the disease that caused his death. In other words, they read other writings about Herod in his last days that are not found here in the scriptures. <clears throat> Among them, intense itching, painful intestinal problems, breathlessness, convulsions of every limb, and gangrene in the genitalia. And again, that was a professor of medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle. Either way, it doesn't mean that Herod just fell over dead and worms crawled out from under his clothing. It means that Herod was in a process of dying and he died painfully shortly uh, thereafter. But notice verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. 
Um, the word of God grew and multiplied. Of course, we can only assume from the text that this word of God is the kingdom gospel. Repent, be baptized, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, that's the same gospel that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Repent for the king, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's the same gospel that the apostles taught when they were sent out. Uh, it's the kingdom gospel. Uh, that is what the Jewish people are responding to here in the text. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. What was the ministry of Barnabas and Saul? Bringing the collection, the money, that was to be given to the church in Jerusalem as a result of the dearth, the famine that they were going through uh, according to the prophecy of Agabus. And notice that they also had with them John Mark. So that covers everything that we have taught uh, Monday through Friday of last week. Uh, Monday morning, uh, 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, we will pick up in chapter 13, verse number 1. And we're going to find that the, the emphasis is going to go back to Saul. We're going to see that he is renamed Paul. So he went from his Jewish name Saul to his Jewish name or his Greek name or his Gentile name Paul. And there's a reason because Saul was ministering to the nation of Israel, kingdom gospel. Paul is ministering to the Gentile gospel of grace. And we'll talk about that next time. God bless you guys. I know that uh, each of you listen to this in your own time. I appreciate the questions. I appreciate you challenging me. And I appreciate you letting me challenge you. Uh, and again, we're learning together as we go through the scriptures. Um, God bless you guys. And as I was taught as a young man, remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.